12, 10, 28, 2, 23. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. <laughs> you know, I listen to that sometimes with New Year's, and then I think, oh, around the world, like we're on our pirate, on our deep state <laughs> <laughs> offshore pirate, pi- pirate, ri- pirate ship, and we're just broadcasting from outside nas- in international waters. Uh, hi, I'm David Rothkopf. I'm your host, and I'm joined today, as usual on Thursday, by Ryan Goodman. Hi, Ryan. Hi, David. And by the wonderful Rosa Brooks. Hi, Rosa. Hi, David. Are you, you're in Alexandria, Virginia? Yes, I am. Nice, beautiful Alexandria, Virginia, where it's cold. I was there all, yes. I was there all day yesterday. I had some meetings. I drove down to Washington from New York, and then I drove back. Oh, wow. So I was in the car... And all I could do was listen to the impeachment hearings. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was like the front. You know, that's really sad. Would you like me to recommend a good audio book? Uh, any audio book. Um, <laughs> or even a bad even, audio Even book? a bad one. It was, you know, Ryan, let me tell you something about these impeachment hearings. I've been following <laughs> the Twitter analysis of them, and there seems to be a consensus that they lacked pizzazz. <laughs> Do you do you feel they like pizzazz, Ryan? I think we should spend the next several minutes about that. <laughs> talking talking <laughs> yeah. about pizzazz. You know, yeah. Rosa's our pizzazz correspondent. Yeah, I think we should hire more diplomats with pizzazz. Pizzazz. Yeah. Yes, I actually have spent. Well, I I just want you to know I did not watch or listen to the impeachment proceedings <laughs> oh, because I thought it was going to be too grim, and I knew I could count on you guys to fill me in on what I missed. But I do see that everybody else thought that. Uh, uh, what's his name? Um, the exceedingly handsome and patrician uh, diplomat. Um, Bill Taylor sounded exactly like Walter Cronkite. <laughs> Bill Taylor. He did say he did sound like that. Bill Taylor. Thank yeah. you. See, it, it is possible to fully ignore this and even 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 repress the names of the key players. The star witness, Walter Cronkite. Yeah. Well, that's what you know. They said he was the star witness. He's actually not, right? I mean, you have to. This is a very Adam Schiffian production, right, Ryan? And an Adam (laughs) Schiffian production is very serious, very methodical, intellectually precise and rigorous, and he's building a case. And and I think while he's aware of the audience, he's also saying we're not going to play to the audience throughout this whole thing. What we're going to do is is try to make the case as bulletproof as possible. At least that was my takeaway. Is that your takeaway? Sure. I think um, it's also good to start with two currently serving senior officials. Um, And I also thought what was remarkable in part is that Adam Schiff's introductory narrative, his opening remarks, is very powerful. It tells the storyline and puts together all the pieces and then to have it followed by Bill Taylor with his opening remarks grafting so closely onto what uh, Schiff had just said. I, I just thought that that was a very powerful beginning to these hearings. Um, so he's laying the groundwork. These are two very important building blocks. Uh, yes, it, although you know the former lawyer for the president of the United States called Bill Taylor, who uh, Rosa thinks is like Walter Cronkite, a pitiful, ignorant, insubordinate gossip. This is John Dowd. <laughs> I mean, it, we, we, I mean, it's, it, no, it's, seriously. You, you, it's, it, but the Republican strategy was to do anything they could to distract from this. You know, Devin Nunez said, well, I'm going to do the QAnon approach, and I'm just going to list every conspiracy theory there is. And Jim Jordan's approach was, I'm just going to yell at everybody, and I'm just going to, you know, b- you know, bully them as much as they could, and and and, but there was no defense, you know. I mean, Rosa, you've read about what happened yesterday. Surely you must be struck by the fact that the that the Republicans don't actually have a defense for what Trump did. Well, their argument appears to have. Changed uh, to he doesn't require a defense because 
we don't even need to dispute any of the facts you're putting forward. We're simply going to say there's nothing wrong with this. This is business as usual. This is politics as usual. This is what presidents are supposed to do. So you Democrats are wasting your time. You're getting up here and you're you're painstakingly proving something that even if proven is it's just a nothing. It's not an offense. It's not impeachable. It's, it's, it's he's doing what he should do, which is kind of genius, politically speaking. Um, and, it, you know, will it work? I, I don't know. But but as ever, you know, they have um, they have a Fox News echo chamber where you would get a completely different view of what is going on. Uh, and, and I'm not even not even reaching the sort of even more extremist sites than Fox. But but, you know, it's it's like a it's like an entirely different thing is playing out um, for viewers of Fox, which is that the Democrats are embarrassing themselves. Um, they're putting these guys, you know, that most of them are not attacking the credibility of, of, of the witnesses. They're simply saying, you know, you got a bunch of mid-level guys who are testifying to stuff that's that's not a crime. What's the matter with these Democrats? They're losing their minds. And and I think that's going to be persuasive to those who are already persuaded. I don't think they're going to win over anybody new, but I also think that that unfortunately the the obviousness with which we regard the case the Democrats are making uh, is not obvious to Trump's base, which is hearing this entirely different narrative. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, Rosa gets to the sort of the core of the Republican strategy, except that there really isn't a Republican strategy, because, you know, some of them are saying, well, this is hearsay. And and, and Lindsey Graham is like, well, unless they have the, the whistleblower, I'm not going to listen to anything. And, you know, other people are... Are, are 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 saying there's no crime. You know, one of the participants, a Republican participant from upstate New York, said something to the effect of, um, "Well, you know, unless there's like treason, mm-hmm. then uh, you know it doesn't rise to you know undoing the duly elected, you know, pr- pr- process of the people of the United States." Blah 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 blah. Um, and and all they you know have to do I think with these various things is throw out something that makes a potential Republican Senate voter, you know, a, a, a jury member or their constituents say, yeah, I'm not going to change my vote. I'm not going to change my mind. They just have to keep them from changing their mind. They don't. They don't have. Well, that's right, and and people don't like to, none of us like changing our minds. This is you know the confirmation bias that we we all actively search for things that will confirm what we already believe. Uh, and when we receive information that tends to call into question what we believe, we look we search very very hard for some plausible basis to dismiss it, or even an implausible basis to dismiss it. Yeah, no, I th- I think that's absolutely. Um... True, and I'll just throw in as a footnote before I turn to Ryan here. But yesterday, you know, I got to Washington. I had some meetings. I went to have a turkey burger at the local turkey burger place, which I, which I, no, I like the turkey burgers at the Four Seasons. They have nice turkey burgers, <laughs> and and I sat there, and then I noticed there was a weird looking guy at the next table, and he had he looked like, you know, a member of ZZ Top. He had a weird beard, but he was bald and everything. And then I was like, oh my God, that's Brad Parscale, the chairman of the. Trump campaign. And he was talking to a couple of people. He was not paying any attention. Nobody at the table was talking about the impeachment hearings. He was talking about the com- the computer programs they have to identify voters who are likely to turn out, voters who are on the fence, what kind of technology they were using, and that it was all going to come down to economics. And the only two things that mattered in economics were um, the job curve and the wage wage curve. And that they were going to focus on, you know, essentially what the, what he was saying was, it's the economy, stupid, and we're going to focus on are you better off now than you were four years ago. And the at no point, I sat literally two feet from them. I wasn't eavesdropping. I was eavesdropping, but I wasn't intentionally eavesdropping. I couldn't help but eavesdrop. They were sitting so close to me. At no point in the entire 90-minute conversation did anybody mention the impeachment or anything about it. And so, you know, I, I just think, you know, a bunch of the, their strategy is just like, let's get this over with and let's move on. But 
Ryan, you did sit, listen, watch, presumably. What was your takeaway? Um, so I do think it's the case that the Republican leadership strategy <clears throat> is just to state ideas as facts despite the actual evidence. So the idea is um, that the aid flow to Ukraine, so it couldn't have been a quid pro quo, that the Ukrainians um, weren't aware on July 25th about the suspension of aid, so it couldn't have been a quid pro quo, and other things that are just absolutely not, uh, that are absolutely disproven in the record, <clears throat> such as that there were no meetings in which the idea of a quid pro quo was raised. So so I do think that they just state it, and then they're counting on, like, Fox News and information networks that are sealed off from others to just reinforce them, no matter what the underlying facts. But I think that there's um, they've got a serious problem, because they're already starting with over 50% of Americans thinking the president should be impeached or removed for and removed uh, for these actions. We just had two individuals who are serving in the Trump administration currently, and they're, and they're um, stating facts that are um, extraordinarily damning of the president. And, you know, if we look at cultural uh, social psychology, so Dan Cahan and uh, Donald Brayman had done a lot of work in this on uh, individuals, all of us, that we interpret information through our existing cognitive frameworks, and it's hard to penetrate that. Well, one of the ways in which I believe their research finds that you can, in fact, get people to change their minds is if somebody who you identify with in your group is actually giving you the message. So these are senior members of the Trump uh, administration. Yeah. So maybe they break through. Or Sondland, who's like a million-dollar donor to Trump, obviously wanted him elected, and now he flips. And a new, and potential new member of future convicts of America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's he's he seems to me to be in hot oh, water. Yeah, I think he's in hot water, um, and and I think maybe some of the others too. Um, and so and oh, and then we do have a press that outside of Fox News, etc., that then sifts through this and can detect. It's just they they have some level of BS detectors that there's nothing to the Republican claims. Like some of them are just running straight against the overwhelming evidence that's in the record. So. Um, one group, I think it was Stand Up America, did a rundown of all the front pages of major newspapers around the country, and the headlines are damning. Um, now, I still think a lot of viewers don't see that. They're, they're just watching Fox News. And and there was an analysis of the coverage of Fox News, and it's really exactly as Rosa had described it. But I think that maybe breaks through as well um, at some point. Rosa, you know of these hearings from having read about them. Um, I, I've heard rumors. You've heard rumors. <laughs> in that, that's how everything works. <laughs> seen the occasional tweet. In, 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 in Washington. What, what, do you, what, do you, what, what is the impression of the takeaway? I mean, you know, as, as somebody who hadn't watched the whole thing, but is obviously extremely well-informed, um, so, I mean, do, 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 do you get a sense that they were off to a good start or not? You know, I don't – it's hard to tell. It, and it's precisely because of these these issues that we've been discussing, right? So I'm a Democrat. I read the New York Times and the Washington Post, or if I don't read them, read them, read them, I at least glance at them, you know, and I read a few things here and there, and I read the first few paragraphs, and I look at the headlines, and I glance at CNN, I listen to NPR. And so I I do, you know, on days when I'm busy and I don't have time to plunge into it or watch six hours of hearings or whatever, you know, I, I do my glancing, and if you rely on the headlines in the Washington Post and so forth, um, the testimony has been absolutely damning. And, uh, and Trump, it, you know, evidence is mounting not only of obstruction of justice and various misdemeanor issues, but, but bribery uh, and so forth, and it is not possible to pay any attention to this and not come away thinking this guy is a criminal. We got to get rid of him as soon as possible. Um, but, um, you know, then I, then I go glance at, at, at the Fox news headlines and they're in an alternate universe in which, in which everything is entirely different. Um, and in fact, in which all of the things that are, all of the things that are depicted in what, let's not, play their game and call it the, the left-wing media <laughs> in what we once thought of as the mainstream media um, um, 
are examples of democratic overreaching and clutchiness. Bribery? You know, this isn't bribery. That's crazy. This doesn't seem like bribery. Nobody thinks that way. This, as, as Trump put it, normal people are going to move on. These people are nuts in Washington, you know, and what really matters is the economy stupid and various other things and, you know, whatever's in the sort of entertainment news and whatever horrific crimes have occurred. And, oh, yes, we had another mass shooting today, you know, um, and that's all that we're really interested in. And this is just ridiculous stuff and more evidence that Washington is completely dysfunctional, um, you know, and on top of that, there's a little bit of um, an affirmative Trump case that is being made. I, I God help me. I, I actually did devote 10 minutes to reading Tucker Carlson's latest. Yikes. Yikes. On what are you doing? Intervention. Well, Stop. And 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 no. And so he makes an argument that I think is 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 a an interesting argument that we need to pay attention to in terms of understanding how this stuff is going to be perceived by people who don't start from the position that the, the, the Washington Post and New York Times are credible and Fox News is not, right? So, so, so Tucker says, um, what is Trump's crime at the end of the day? Boy, these, these permanent bureaucracy of Washington are insisting that we're in this permanent Cold War with Russia, um, that our top priority needs to be you know, arming the Ukrainians, protecting Ukrainian borders against Russian uh, depredations, and protecting the, the territorial integrity and sovereignty of Ukraine. And Donald Trump's crime to the Democrats is that he is saying, as he should be saying, why can't we all just get along? Why can't America and Russia get along and fight ISIS together? And, oh, look, see, now we're, we're holding hands in harmony in Syria. We got rid of al-Baghdadi um, by holding hands with the Russians in Syria. That is a good thing for American national security. Meanwhile, these bureaucrats with these entrenched positions who are incapable of recognizing that the world is changing around them continue to cling to this Cold War era fantasy of the Russians as a bunch of supervillains. And we should expend all of our blood and treasure, you know, fighting against Russia and helping the Ukrainians and building up NATO, which is completely obsolete and Trump very rightly is rejecting this completely outmoded paradigm of American foreign policy and saying we have more important things to do here at home. And, oh, by the way, why are we so obsessed with protecting Ukrainian border integrity when it is apparently unacceptable to protect the integrity of the American border? Now, this is completely tendentious in all kinds of ways, but I think that it, it, it's part of a coherent narrative that totally recast what Trump is doing. There's you know, a little bit of an issue with when you get to Joe Biden, you know, and the fixation on Joe Biden. But even that they managed to explain away, you know, and so, so they're recasting what Trump has done, not only by saying, hey, it wasn't a crime. You know, remember, and they started out with, well, you know, maybe it would be poor judgment or maybe if we put a pro quo, that would be bad. But, you know, now now it's being reframed not only as not a crime, but as a far-sighted <laughs> president who is able to cast off the chains of the past, which the, the, the bureaucracy is still foolishly bound by and clinging to this kind of warmongering, Russia's the big bad guy approach. And, and it's so interesting. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's brilliant. It's scary because, you know, you find yourself nodding along. You're like, well, good point, Tucker. That's a, you know, and, 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 and it's, and, and of course it, it, depends for its effectiveness on overlooking all sorts of inconvenient details that, that you know, if you pay attention to, undermine this narrative of, of, about Trump. But, but I, think, I think it is going to be very effective. I, you know, I, and I worry a little bit. I, I do worry slightly, and I'd be really interested to see what the two of you think about this. When I saw that Schiff and Pelosi are, are shifting to describing this as bribery, I do worry that that could be perceived as overreaching, um, not only by by the hard right, but including by some in the middle, um, you know, who are already who, who kind of get the hey, you're not supposed to pressure foreign countries to dig up dirt on your political rival, but that describing it as bribery seems to take it a little too far and maybe play into that far right narrative of these Democrats have lost their mind. 
Now, first of all, I I I know I could just tell by his body language and his twitching that that Ryan that, that, <laughs> I'm that Ryan's Ryan. will respond to the bribery question in a second. But you good, probably good, didn't good. know this, Ryan. But you know, Reassure between me. when you went to law school with Rosa and now, you know, she like dated Brett Kavanaugh. You didn't. You didn't. <laughs> and you could tell. Not true, the Ryan. susceptibility to Tucker Carlson's charms is exactly. <laughs> didn't you? I thought you said you uh, you did you went on a date. No, you. <laughs> no, I didn't go on a date with him. What was? You, he asked me once if I wanted to go to a movie with him. <laughs> That's enough for Ryan. That was my brush with sexual assault and harassment. <clears throat> Ryan's eyes have just rolled back in his head, but um. <laughs> but I, I, I did, I did, I did used to like Tucker before he went bonkers. Wow. Wow. Um, I, look, there's so much I could say, but Ryan, why don't you say it instead? <laughs> um. <laughs> tell me why, Ryan. So I, tell me why I'm well, wrong. Okay. About, so, about Tucker? So please, first, please. first on Tucker. <laughs> <clears throat> so a couple things. I mean, I think they're in such deep trouble. I think they have no real good arguments, and I think they know that. And prior to the public hearing, we heard that they may boil it all down to, yes, it was inappropriate, but it's not impeachable. Um, and in a way, Tucker Carlson's narrative, if that's it, it actually feeds an idea of what – it makes it all more plausible that the president did what he did because he's aligned with Russia, and this is in support of Russia, and um, he doesn't mind if Ukraine has to bend to Russia, um, So, and, and if he even breaks Ukraine's back. and. And then to take the 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 words of the glorified words of Tucker Carlson, um, he once said, "Quote: Donald Trump should not have been on the phone with a foreign head of state encouraging another country to investigate his political opponent Joe Biden." Some Republicans are trying, but there's no way to spin this as a good idea. Like a lot of he changed his mind. Like a lot of things Trump does, it was pretty over the top. <laughs> a, a petty consistency <laughs> is the hobgoblin of little yeah. minds, right? But then, and then the amazing thing about that that uh, op-ed by T Tucker Carlson is he says so it was really bad. It was really bad. <laughs> it was over the top, quote unquote, over the top. But the reason it's not impeachable is because quote the president did not, as was first reported, offer a quid pro quo to the Ukrainians. End quote. And they're just dead in the water. They're dead in the water on that. That's why I just like the, you know, what um, Jim Jordan did in his, one of his soliloquies was he said, <laughs> I mean, this is just what's so nuts. It just runs against the record. So he says, um, here's one. I, I like this one. He goes, one, of course, the phone call, the July 25th phone call between President Trump and President Zelensky. And there were four other face-to-face -face meetings with other senior U.S. officials. And guess what? Not one of those interactions, not one, were security assistance dollars linked to the investigating Burisma, to investigating Burisma or Biden, end quote. They're blown out of the water. Sondland flipped. Sondland has direct evidence that he himself carried the message to the Ukrainians on two occasions. That and, and apparently he put it on speakerphone in a restaurant <laughs> in the middle of what is called Kiev, by the way. I never yeah. knew that until this week. I thought it was Kiev, but... They all, ever, all, they're all the Ukraine specialists call it Kiev, and 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 he the, the parent, you know, every now today, two people overheard the phone call. Yes, two people whose names we but, know. But you you're assuming that everyone is living in this reality based universe where they number one read the news, number two believe that what they see on television or transcripts as they appear in the New York Times um, is is. <sighs> is real as opposed to fake or biased um, or written with a particular political agenda in mind. Um, and you're, it's three that they actually have a memory of what happened a week ago. Um, and I, unfortunately, I think that, I think that the Trump supporters consist of two categories of people. I'm actually, there, I'm sure there are many more, but two main categories for, for present purposes. One category is people who aren't paying close attention. All they're doing is skimming the Fox News headlines, you know, um, and maybe looking at what their relatives are sending them on Facebook. Um, and so they're not they're not reading through the say, hey, wait a minute. Didn't Tucker Carlson say something somewhat different in an op ed two weeks ago? You know, and wait a minute. Didn't they didn't a bunch of them say if there was a quid pro quo, that would be bad. And now, you know, they're not doing that. 
And then the other category of people are the Jim Jordans who are completely unethical and will lie and don't care. You know, I, you know so how do you, I, I mean, this, and it's I say this, I don't say this with joy, but I think, but I worry, Ryan. I mean, I mean, you're right. Of course you're right. But I worry that that universe that, that we are living in, in which we go, hey, wow, that's a contradiction. You can't square those things. They're not living in that universe. Well, let me, let me, let me. Offer okay, a, I just want to let you know that my dog just arrived and she has some thoughts. On well, I'm sure he does. And as a law degree from the same place Jim Jordan does. Um, uh, let me say that um, the, backing up Rosa's position on all of this is that the Ohio House today and state legislature passed a law that said that if you get an answer, you're a high school student, you get an answer wrong on a science test, um, and you get it wrong because it conforms with your religion, Mm. it doesn't count against you. So literally, (laughs) if you, as somebody pointed out on Twitter, if you say, the Earth is 6,000 years old, that can't be held against you if it's your religious belief. In Ohio, the home... My God, in the homes st- my children are probably now wishing they could go to school in Ohio. That would help solve some of their difficulties with science. No, tests. no, it's a, it's stunning because it's it's literally the institutionalization of what you're talking about, which is free, you know, freedom, or as somebody else put it on Twitter, freedom of religion is freedom from facts, and 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 so we're moving into this. But let me let me let me ask you guys a question, which touches on something both of you have said. But but on my reaction, because there I was in my little car driving from New York to Washington at a, at a high rate of speed, but safely, and I was listening to this thing, and I was listening, Ryan, as you did, to the opening comments of Bill Taylor um, and uh, of uh, – what's his name? It was Kent? Was that yep. his name? Yeah. And, um, and to some of the questioning – and I have to say, I had a reaction that nobody had on, on, on mm. television. I mean, some people touched upon it. But I thought, oh, my God. You know, this, is, this whole thing is about Russia. It's, it's, it was all about playing into Russia. Was, you know, that Trump was fed a line by the Russians that the Ukrainians were not to be trusted. Trump was fed a line by the Russians that the Ukrainians um, – were the really the ones behind the 2016 hack so that it would take it off the Russians. Uh, he was fed a line about Crimea. He was fed a line about uh, all of this stuff. And w- essentially what Trump was doing was trying not to fund Ukraine, to give Russia more strength. He was trying to pressure the Ukrainians also, that not, not mentioned in this whole thing, to cut a deal with the Russians and to uh, get some kind of uh, uh, get them off the hook so that the sanctions could be ended against the Russians. And that quite apart from bribery, this was, you know, about essentially the U.S. being allied with Russia again and um, giving, giving the Russians an advantage. On a, you know, Obama didn't do enough to stop Russia when it invaded Crimea. But Trump is actively helping Russia. As he has has he's done so elsewhere, and I think you know part of the problem is everybody's like, oh, Trump, Russia. I don't hear those two words together anymore without thinking this is a political thing. Mm. But but the United, I mean, it, Trump is off, and and you know if you read about what happened behind the scenes, everybody was saying to Trump, no, you got to give him the military aid, and he was going, no, I don't trust the Ukrainians. No, we're not going to give them the aid. Um, you know, he was the one actively pushing for this pro-Russian position. And I thought, holy mackerel, this is the worst kind of foreign policy malpractice. Weird. Yeah, it's, it's beyond weird. It's, 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 it's super dangerous. You know, there are Ukrainians dying. You know, nobody was thinking about this, you know, from the point of view that, you know, in, there, there is Russia, which is trying to expand its influence, historically has done this since, you know, Potemkin started taking over Central Asia in the 18th century and, and, and long before that. And, um, and you know, they 
went into Georgia in 2008 and they want to go into Syria and they're pushing into Crimea and they're now pushing more into Ukraine. They have their sights set on the Baltics. They're pushing, they're pushing, they're pushing. And these places like Ukraine are the buffer between the EU and Russia. I mean, geopolitically, super important, couldn't be more important. And somehow this doesn't figure into it. You know, somehow this doesn't really figure into the discussion that we are, you know, inviting Russia to cross the threshold into Europe. But, you know, may, you know may, maybe I'm just too much of a foreign policy wonk. And, and that's what I hear instead of this other stuff. Um, no, so, uh, so actually on Just Security tomorrow morning, we're going to have a piece by a former senior Defense Department official making that point, like this is the big picture that people are missing. Um, as I well. agree with that piece 100%. <laughs> so, so that, yeah, and so everything that you just said in terms of like, and he even puts it more in terms of like a, regular Americans who have spent their lives trying to say never again will borders of Europe be shred by military force. Um, and then, you know, one of the piece just to put it together a little bit, because now people had an opportunity to hear uh, somebody uh, with the gravitas of George Kent and, 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 and Bill Taylor, but uh, George Kent speak um, publicly. In his deposition, um, they ask him about a briefing, a debriefing he had from Fiona Hill, and which we'll hear from her. She's actually the capstone final witness next week. And Fiona Hill tells, and she's working in the White House, tells George Kent that Putin, in his phone call with Trump, Putin and Orban uh, from Hungary when he met with Trump, but Putin, quote-unquote, extensively talked Ukraine down, end quote. And then George Kent says in his deposition, quote, along with former Mayor Giuliani, their communications, which means Putin and Orban's, communications with President Trump shaped the president's view of Ukraine and Zelensky and would account for the change from a very positive first call on April 21st to his negative assessment of Ukraine, end quote. Well, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to Fiona Hill because in reading her testimony, she was pissed off. She was pissed off for this reason. She has been studying this her whole life. She is hugely respected by both sides. She's not seen as a super partisan figure in any ways. In fact, some people were like, why is she going to the Trump administration? She wanted to serve. She goes into the Trump administration, and, and she sees this thing happening. And anybody who spent the past 30, 40, 50, 75 years you know, working in American foreign policy, um, and there's some people around her, you know, Henry Kissinger's 90s. Five years old. He's been doing it that whole time. You, you got to look at this and go, what the heck is going on here? This is the most profound reversal in American foreign policy um, ever, you know, and, and, it's, and it goes hand in hand with <clears throat> trying to dismantle all the institutions that the United States put in place after World War II to try to stabilize the world and to avoid just what the, is happening here. Or another way of putting it in terms of global stability and U.S. national security, are you better off now than you were four years ago? Well, and I think the answer right? is no, you're not. <laughs> Absolutely. No, you're not. No, you, but, I totally but, agree. But Tucker Carlson is saying to Rosa, hey, Rosa. But, okay, so I'm going to continue my ill-advised um, defense of Donald Trump, Tucker Carlson, uh, et cetera. Um, I do. I do think, um, and and as you know, I've I've been making this argument for a while that um, we need to work harder. I don't. I don't. By this, I don't mean the two of you. I mean we collectively. The, the three of you. Know, you mean the three people, of us? <laughs> three of us in my job. <laughs> need need to work harder not to fall into the temptation to get sloppy and lazy and assume that, duh, it's completely fucking obvious why we shouldn't want Russia to increase its influence over Ukraine and other parts of Europe and so on and so forth. Um, I think that we need to force ourselves to keep explaining it over and over, because we do get sloppy, too, sometimes on, on our end, and we start relying on, you know, but everybody knows uh forms of shorthand, but everybody knows that this is important for stability, but everybody knows that Russia's a bad actor, you know, but everybody knows that NATO matters hugely. 
everybody does not know that clearly number one because they're not paying attention number two because we're getting an emerging generation of people who were you know they were born post 9-11 they barely know what they don't remember the term the soviet union anyway much less know anything about sort of the you know what ryan when you say americans is thinking never again never again implies that you have some understanding of history and many people don't um and the younger they are the less understanding of of what to us is still living history and to them is now ancient history we can expect them to have you know so so i think that I do think that a challenge to foreign policy elites, um, you know, and obviously stipulating that that the Trump administration is is morally and intellectually bankrupt um, in every possible way. But I do think a genuine challenge for all of us is to not assume that anything goes without saying to anybody and be willing and ready every single time to say, yeah, you know, that's actually a good question. Why shouldn't we just be friends with Russia? That's a fair question. Here's why, you know, and to answer that question over and over and over again and not just assume it's a ridiculous or bad faith question, because although when it is asked by Tucker Carlson, it's a ridiculous bad faith question, but when asked by many Americans, it's not necessarily, it may be an ignorant question, but it's not necessarily a bad faith one. And we need to have an answer. Yeah, no, no, I definitely agree. I think we have to tiptoe around the stupidity of the American public as as gently as we possibly can. Um, because not only have they lost their grasp of history, it's November and they've lost their grasp of October. <laughs> um, and, you know, there, nothing proved that better than the fact that somehow the president of the United States, Ryan, thought, well, you know, I've got to upstage this impeachment hearing. How am I going to do it? I know what I'll do. I'll invite Erdogan to the White House. I mean, you know, that'll show that I'm a leading statesman. Oh, yeah. When I let him invade Syria, gave him the green light, that empowered ISIS. It betrayed the Kurds, who are our allies. It's led to human rights abuses. It empowered Russia. It empowered the Assad regime. It empowered Iran. Erdogan is shutting down the press. He's shutting down democracy. Um, he's a terrible guy, but the American people don't remember that because that was three weeks ago. I'm going to have him at the White House. And Erdogan goes to the White House and apparently has a meeting where he like passes around, you know, videos showing, you know, bad things about the Kurds. You know, he's like trying to spin things against the Kurds and the president of the United States who greenlit. Erdogan going in to break up the Kurdish homeland in Syria goes out and says, you know, Erdogan's a friend of the Kurds. I mean, he literally said he has a very good relationship with the Kurds. And, and, and you got to think, holy mackerel, if, you, if, the, Amer- if he, the, the Trump section of the American public either A, doesn't remember two weeks ago, mm. or B, um, doesn't you know, care to learn enough to have anything to, to, to evaluate this on, then, then none of this matters. You know, even Rose's you know, thoughtful effort to try to explain why Russia is bad isn't going to matter if they're perfectly okay with the president of the United States, um, you know, hobnobbing with, you know, brutal authoritarians who are killing our allies. And I'll, I'll give you one other thing, by the way, just as a footnote, because we always like to throw in a little bit of news, you know, here. Once again, the fact that the pre- you know we said we've lost the grip of history and we've lost the grip of October because it's already November. You, you know what the Republican National Committee today decided? They're going to host the Republican National Committee annual meeting at the Doral Country Club <laughs> in Florida. You know, it's like, oh yeah, that that scandal was three weeks ago. You know, and you know, putting money in Trump's pocket—that was no good. And so anyway, we've got a we got a prism problem. You know. And the problem with impeachment is it's not a legal process. It's a political process. And the fate of the process turns not on the 40 percent or 45 percent of Americans who believe Trump is wrong or the 45 percent of Americans who don't care. And, they're, they're, you know, there's 10 percent there in the middle that might be moved a little bit. And if they tick the Trump should be removed from office portion above 60 percent. That might change the political calculus for a bunch of senators running for re-election, right? So it's those people. And the question is, are they paying attention? Do they care about facts? Where do they fall on this continuum 
between brain dead and engaged? Ryan. End of show. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, I agree with a lot of what you've uh, said. And I agree uh, uh, fully, I guess, um, with what you said, Rosa, about the need to educate, re-educate. Also, you know, dealing with a disinformation campaign, I'd, we still don't have the techniques uh, developed for how to address it, but certainly uh, combating disinformation and and the like about Russia um, every, you know, on every occasion, every iteration in a certain sense and not taking anything for granted and being rigorous about it. Um, I think all of that's key. And, um, and, and, and I agree with what you said, David, in terms of the what should be like the biggest, one of the biggest scandals of this presidency is the green lighting of uh, Erdogan's um, operation inside uh, Syria. And it's forgotten that he can actually have a White House meeting with Erdogan um, that soon thereafter. It's just This week, it yep. came out in the press that there was a meeting involving Trump in which it was suggested that Mexicans coming across the border be sent to Guantanamo. You know, and, and, and it was like, oh, that's not even, that doesn't even show up on the news. Wait, I thought we were just going to feed them to the shark. <laughs> yeah. Right. That, that was, or the that was, the, that was plan B. Right. Or another one is, um, just because we we're talking about the uh, Turkey relationship and the, their operation, quote unquote, Peace Spring in Syria, to just last week, the New York Times reported um, in a leaked memo by a, by the senior diplomat in uh, northeastern Syria, um, Bill Roebuck. And the internal memo says that what's happening in Syria under Turkey's operation is, quote, catastrophic, and it is to a significant degree of our making, end quote. And he also says what, that the Turkish operation, quote, can only be described as war crimes and ethnic cleansing, end quote. And a week later, Erdogan's in the White House. Um, getting the grand tour. So, yes on that. And then the other no, one is... And, 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 and by the way, Erdogan's <clears> in the White House. I, forgive me. But one of the things that Erdogan that er, everybody's discussing in the White House is the fact that Erdogan's buying um, surface-to-air missile systems from, from the Russians, even though Erdogan's a NATO ally. And Erdogan's there to complain, saying, you know, you should sell me your planes, too. And and tr you know normally if you have a NATO ally that breaks a fundamental rule and draws itself closer to Russia and then aligns with Russia and does this operation with Russia which empowers Russia which is a regional rival and empowers ISIS which is you know a, 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 a terrorist organization that is top you know our list of terrorist organizations you you wouldn't be saying hey come to the White House. You know. Well, this is this is the old uh, uh, Republican line from you know 2002 or whatever it was. We create our own reality. Thanks to Trump and Erdogan, we have we have rendered you know obsolete. So he was right all along. Well, you know what the, the other thing is, and nobody has mentioned this, but even as we're talking about it, or I'm ranting about it, and you guys are being rational about it, um, it dawns on me that the juxtaposition yesterday of a discussion about a duly elected reformer from Ukraine who wanted U.S. support to push back on Russia and advance U.S. national interests in, in Ukraine and to help fight corruption was denied a meeting in the White House right. because he wouldn't deal dirt um, to help Trump win and also help the Russians. Remember, the 2016 thing was a request to help cover up for a Russian attack on the United States. He was denied. Meanwhile, an authoritarian who's shutting down, you know, the, the, the press and shutting down democracy in his country. And remember, the U.S. National Security Advisor, Mike Flynn, ended up getting in trouble because he was too close to the Turks. And Trump has two dozen businesses in Turkey. And you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, here's an unregistered foreign agent of the Turks. Right. Yeah. And 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 and, er, and Erdogan's there. You know, it's and and this this happens a lot, right? Manafort was an agent of Deripaska, you know, and Manafort goes to jail, and Deripaska gets what Manafort was lobbying for all along. You know, the benefits from the from the U.S. government, and then he rewards Mitch McConnell with a big aluminum plant in Kentucky. Well, I mean. 
but all of this raises the question, right? So, so, so many Trump things are the, you know, while you were paying attention to this outrage, he was busily getting away with that outrage. And, and I do worry a little bit that the, the relentless focus, uh, the relentless, very legalistic, and if you're not following closely, um, sometimes difficult to follow focus of the impeachment hearings on, on the Ukraine uh, phone call and quid pro quo, et cetera, uh, distracts us from all of these other horrific things that are going on at the very same time. I mean, I mean, I mean, it is so striking among, you know, the fact that the Erdogan visit barely made it, you know, I'm not sure it was above the fold in any of the newspapers, you know, it, it might as well not have been happening because every headline was about the impeachment process. Um, so I don't know, does this given, I, you know, as, as you both know, I, I, you know, I think, I think the impeachment process has to happen. Um, I, I think that sort of having it, maintaining the integrity, if there is any integrity to our constitutional process requires that we, that Congress go forward with the impeachment process. But the, I do worry that it ends up kind of being this, legalistic distraction from these in plain sight uh, additional and in some in some cases even greater horrors that occur in the meantime yeah well yeah I mean you know there, there is something I mean I guess part of what we're saying here is that the impeachment process and all the related um, uh, political phenomena of our time are related not just to Trump but to some kind of social um, breakdown, some kind of breakdown on the part of American citizens to do what is minimally necessary on the part of a citizenry, which is to identify and collect facts and then to analyze them in a thoughtful way. Um, and because that's what a citizen is obligated to do to make a democracy work. And uh, as you know, students of you know, totalitarianism have often written about, once you break down the idea of, of you know, that truth matters, um, you're done. You don't, you don't have to violate the Constitution serially or violate the law serially. Um, um, uh, you, you have entered into a world in which the, the winners are the ones who are able to shape the perceived reality regardless of what's really reality. Um, and, and so... Well, this, this, I was just going to add, add that this goes back to something, an important point that Brian made very early in this discussion um, when we were talking about confirmation bias and what changes people's minds and when they hear information that tends to contradict what they, with their beliefs, do they, do they reject it? And it ends up uh, uh, reinforcing their beliefs or does it actually make them call their beliefs into question? Um, you know, that, that, as Ryan said, it depends who the messenger is. If the messenger is somebody who they think of as being one of them, part of their tribe, whatever their tribe may be, that they're more likely to accept contradictory information as possibly valid and say, huh, maybe I need to rethink my assumptions, whereas if the information comes to them from you know, someone they view as a them rather than an us, uh, the, it just gets rejected and reinforces their pre-existing views, which which I think raises a real, it raises several challenges. Um, but, you know, one of those challenges is, is uh, what are the ways to get credible messengers to those undecided people or, or uh, uh, the, the reconcilables amongst the Trumpies? Um, you know, is it is it some of the never Trumpers? Is it is it people they haven't heard from yet? Is it everybody making darn sure that if they have family members who are in the Trump camp, but who are still actually talking to them and occasionally listening to them, that they have a series of long, earnest conversations with their family members? Um, but but I think that that's you know, part of what we have to puzzle through is how do we break out of this this uh, situation in which. You know, any facts that come from someone I, I believe I disagree with already will be totally rejected um, when you have one 
political party uh, that is significantly more ruthless and willing to lie than the other? How do you overcome that? Yeah, no, it's interesting. We've crossed what you might call the Moynihan line. The, it's t- Typically, the quote is attributed to Moynihan, which say you're entitled to your own opinion, but not your own facts, right? And we have entered into the world where you're actually entitled to your own facts. And, you know, Oprah says, you know, you can have your own, yeah. you know, you can have your own truth. And once you enter into that territory, it has a whole bunch of effects. But one of the effects, Ryan... God damn it, it's all the postmodernists' fault, and then it's Oprah's it, fault. Oprah <laughs> and the postmodernists is the title of my next book. But in, um, it's not. But to bring it back as we wrap this up to where we started, which is the impeachment thing, we have talked here week after week um, about... You know, there's not a legal process, it's a political process, and what is the challenge then for the prosecutors and and so forth. But I think the thrust of this, after one day of the impeachment hearings and this analysis and this discussion, is that making the factual case isn't going to work if a sufficient portion of the population is being exposed to or accepting a different set of facts. You, you you can't, you know, and, and so, you know, it gets to your point that you made earlier, which I think is right. Somehow you have to get somebody who has traction with that community to change their mind publicly. And, and as I look to next week, and, I, you know, in my view, this process would go on for three months. I know in some other people's views, it's it's a shorter process. But as I look to next week and I look to this sort of siloed set of issues associated with Ukraine... I got a feeling that the Sondland testimony, which is scheduled for next week if he actually shows up, um, is going to be a big deal because he has lied under oath to the Congress now more than once. He is going to be in a very uncomfortable position in his questioning, and it is going to be— He had a memory lapse. Multiple memory lapses, but, but he is going to be in a very uncomfortable position when he is questioned— you know, and and they're going to say, you know, you know, here is a guy, and he gave a million dollars to the Trump inauguration in order to get this job. Uh, the president says he doesn't know him, but he's able to call him up anytime he wants. And uh, he, you know, he's in Kiev, and he's using a cell phone in a restaurant <laughs> to call the president of the United States. And the, what's more, the president of the United States, the big boob, is taking the call. So, you know, the Russians are, you know, Russians are listening. Uh, Ukrainians are undoubtedly listening. Everybody's listening in on this call. Um, And, you know, he was clearly doing wrong. And it's it's it seems to me that it's going to be impossible to defend Sondland. But but as we look ahead to the next week. What do you think can make a difference, Ryan? And I'll ask Rosa the same question. Um, so I think we're seeing it. I, I have much greater optimism around the visualization of uh, these people coming forward who are uh, senior Trump administration officials. So I do actually think they do break through the cognitive frames. And uh, to specifically answer the question of what I think is coming next week, uh, besides Fiona Hill, which you had mentioned, David, is a person of great reputation across the political aisle, is Lieutenant Colonel Vindman in his full military dress, a Purple Heart winner, um, uh, award, uh, awardee for, the, for his valor. And he will testify... A foreign spy. And he will testify in... If he just says what's in his opening statement, which they seem to be repeating their opening statements, but now it's visual, um, it will be utterly damning. And that will... One would think that if we already have I, – I can only imagine that the percentage of people who favor impeachment will increase, and we're already in the 50s. Well, I, I, I do, one thing, Rosa, that we know is going to happen is if Vindman testifies, he's, it's not hearsay. He was on the call. If, if, if uh, Sondland testifies, not hearsay, he spoke directly to the president. Uh, Fiona the Ukrainians. Hill, uh, yeah. Fiona, the Fiona, Fiona Hill was in the room with Trump a bunch of times. Uh, and Fiona Hill will be able to testify directly to what her boss, John Bolton, was saying. So, you know, there is there, – the, the hearsay argument is going to break down. What what do you think could happen next week that could move the needle, Rosa? I don't think anything is likely to happen to move the, the needle. Um, I mean, I, I, I would like Ryan to be right 
Um, but I am skeptical. Um, in fact, I think we should we should make a bet. I'm trying to decide what I want from you guys if I win, <laughs> um, other than maybe a, a visa to emigrate to Canada or something. Um, but but um, I would I would put money on the if you look at uh, 538 blogs running average of impeachment related sentiments in the polls. Um, which currently, I think, you know, as of as of today, it was something like you know, forty eight percent or forty eight point five or something or forty nine percent of Americans favor impeachment um, of Trump, um, and about forty five percent or so oppose it. Um, I would put I would put money on that not changing substantially, which is to say, not changing by more than you know a couple of percentage points, um, which is potentially statistical noise. Um, in the next two weeks, I would be shocked if uh, I would be very, very surprised if anything that comes out of these hearings uh, moves that needle, you know, more than a few percentage points up. You want to take the bet, Ryan? And, and, and in fact, in fact, one of the things I find rather depressing and which I think is part of what is emboldening the Republicans is notwithstanding the revelations of the last two weeks, um, a few weeks ago, that little impeachment impeachment meter polling average was up uh, just above 50 percent. It's dropped a couple of percentage points during the very period in which these what we see as these damning revelations have, have come out. Um, so, you know, might it tip, tick back up to, you know, 50.5 from 48.5? It might very well. Uh, is it going to get to 55 percent or 60 percent or 70 percent? I can't imagine it. For all the reasons that we've been discussing, you want you want you want to better something. Uh, I'll bet you something. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you till next week. You oh. guys figure out what the bet is. <laughs> Large uh, blonde roast Starbucks coffee. Oh, oh, a, a Starbucks. Oh, man. That's pretty low. <laughs> pretty pretty low. Maybe that's hardly hardly worth it. Um, <laughs> if I can't have a, a visa uh, immigrant immigrant visa to Canada, oh. Ryan, then I'm not sure what's. What's going to entice me? You know what's really what's really it. good, and you can get them at Trader Joe's. Is they make these little maple leaf shaped cookies with maple <laughs> maple sugar filling, and it tastes they taste like Canada. So I'm just they're horrible. They're terrible. I hate oh, those okay. Well, then that won't be. The... In fact, those maple sugar cookies are 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 a crime. Wow. In my view, wow. And Canada has a lot to answer. Wow. For. Okay. Well, that's a subject for a future episode. I'll just say this. You know, for for all of you who are skeptical of Rose's view, and I and and many of you are always persuaded of Rose's view, but for those of you who are skeptical, um, I think the the one thing that happened this week that was you know supports her view is that Devin Nunez, who is, you know, one of the five stupidest men in the United States Congress uh, and, and, and is the, the, the senior minority member on the uh, Select Permanent Committee on Intelligence, um, began by saying, well, we saw with all this Mueller stuff for three years that it was all a big hoax. And, of course, it wasn't a big hoax. <laughs> And Mueller demonstrated fairly conclusively that it was not a hoax. And Mueller demonstrated in manifold ways it was not a hoax. And Mueller added to the, to the point by saying that here are 11 cases of obstruction of justice. And in any rational country that based its decisions on facts, the Mueller report would have been a turning point that brought down the president of the United States. And in the United States, it because it didn't do that immediately— it was deemed to have been a nothing burger. And I think part of the problem here is that unless something happens that is galvanizing and people start buzzing on the Twitterverse and on the cable networks and everything else and they go, oh, my God, this is a game changer. If it just keeps going the way it is with every day somebody adding more evidence proving that Trump actually did this, it's not going to matter. So you need facts. But you also need emotion. You need something to change the perspective. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Um, think about how you want to play this bet out. We'll be back here next week. We'll be back on Monday with the usual Deep State Radio. We'll have other interviews with newsmakers like we did with Chris Murphy this week. Please go and listen to that. He was great. He's like the best in the U.S. Senate on foreign policy on the Democratic side. And... 
Um, we'll be back here again um, uh, next Thursday for more of this. We are incredibly glad that you're listening to Deep State Radio and that you're growing our audience and that you're supporting us. And now's the time to go to the web state, the DSR Network, and not only become a member, but if you go to the DSRnetwork.com and you go to the swag store, start your Christmas shopping, get some of that great DSR swag for your friends and family because it will show that you are an insider, that you're smart, that you're on the side of the angels, um, and it will trigger all of your crazy right-wing fact-hating relatives. So won't that make Christmas a great time for you all? Or Hanukkah, or whatever you're celebrating. Anyway, thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Rosa. Thanks to all of you for listening. And join us again on the next Deep State Radio.